0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Food, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Amir Sayod Abdi, the host of the channel. Today, I have the pleasure to talk to uh, Dr. Stine Gunderström Krugager and Dr. Jonathan Lear about their book, Research Methods in Digital Food Studies, which was just published in 2021 by Routledge. Uh, Stine is Associate Professor at the Department of Communication and Psychology, Aalborg University, Denmark. Uh, she has published on food, gender and methodologies in multiple journals and she is also the co- co-editor uh, in chief at the Nordic Journal, Media Culture, Journal of Media and Communication Research. Jonathan is head of food and tourism research at the University College Absalon, Denmark, and has published widely on food culture, including food and age and alternative food politics, and previously edited the anthology, Food and Media. Uh, Stina and Jonathan, thanks for accepting my invitation and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Uh, to start off, uh, could you please uh, tell us a bit about your uh, personal and also research background, uh, starting with you, Stina, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah. Um, I got my master's degree in media and communication in 20 no, 2007. Uh, then I did a PhD, uh, from 2009 to 12 on ch- children and young people's use of media and food in their everyday lives. And as you just said, uh, since then, I have uh, done research uh, in the areas of food, aesthetics,
2: gender and methodologies.
0: Yeah. Um, thank you, Siné. Jonathan?
2: Yeah, so I'm actually from uh, literary studies and cultural studies and French studies. Uh, and then I, I finished in 2008 with all these kind of degrees and then moved on to the PhD uh, at Copenhagen University, where I wrote about food and masculinity among celebrity chefs in European food media, and after that I've been working uh, in the University of Aarhus, also in Denmark, where I studied the food, the new Nordic cuisine. Uh, food and pedagogies, food and media. Uh, And then in 2018, I moved on to the position I hold now, as you mentioned, where I'm head of a small research unit in food and tourism studies, where we also work with food design, food and sustainability, food tourism, and so on. And then, of course, food and media is still one of my big interests.
0: Of course. Um, And... There's often a story behind, you know, every book. Um, What's the story behind yours and how did this book come about? Uh,
2: Well, for some years, you know, we have noted, both of us, that there was a lot of um, focus on digital media, that that it changed radically our relationship to food in the everyday. And also that food had become a predominant topic in digital and social media. Already, like when I did my PhD, there was a lot of focus on food television uh, 10 years ago. But, but since then, it's really kind of exploded with all kinds of, of new medias and also uh, really different forms of medias. And also, of course, including new uh, new kinds of, of food media producers. A lot of the social media is like accessible to lot of people and a lot of people try also not only to consume the media but also to be producers in different ways um and also when it comes to food culture the way we look at uh, shopping uh, the way we go to the sociality around the table and so on it's it's still something that has been changed a lot with um the arrival of of digital uh, media and in the research, we have seen uh, some new books, some new research, uh, but the study on uh, digital food also raises a lot of methodological questions because there is, well, there is so much of it and it's kind of new uh, ways of thinking about it in terms of, of the relationship between those who produce and those who consume it. And also I think uh, an important part is that we, we needed really to rethink the traditional methods in media studies, of course, which have been working a lot with this, but also in food studies uh, because m- media and digital uh, communication is so important all around uh, food. So what we wanted to do was to kind of make up for the lack of, of should we say, guides in how to do uh, digital food studies Um, so that's like a practical dimension because a lot of the methodology was not really developed a lot i think there was done some very interesting work but maybe the methodological parts of it was still could be described more in detail also to inspire more studies And then we also wanted to raise uh, awareness and discussion of the potential problems and ethics of digital food studies in terms of what we do as as scholars and, and food studies researchers.
1: So concretely, we actually, we just went out, asked a series of renowned authors in digital food studies to describe their methodological approaches to the field and share their reflections. So they should not go out and do new empirical work, but reflect on what they have been doing previously. Um, and we were lucky that all of them agreed. Um, and we feel that they actually really welcomed this opportunity. Uh, as we are all kind of new in and also a bit unexperienced uh, in this digital field and some of us maybe a bit out of our comfort zone, so we ask them to uh, reflect on what they had been doing uh, and put it into this very concrete form uh, in each chapter. Um, yeah, to make it very accessible, uh, especially to students.
0: Um, Thank you. And there's a couple of follow up questions that uh, I would like to ask. Um, And Uh, so This is, I mean, you you mentioned, Jonathan, that uh, there were some, you know, challenges and, uh, uh, you know, potentials and uh, opportunities, uh, some methodological challenges. Uh, What are some of these, you know, challenges and opportunities when we are talking about, you know, digital era of uh, food studies?
2: Well, I, I think a lot of the challenges, are if you take something very concretely, as, as when I did my PhD, I focused a lot on, on food television. And it was, for instance, at that period, 10 years ago, it was kind of possible for me to kind of, of lock and categorize all kind of food shows uh, shown in Denmark for instance uh, that that there was a lot of it it has expanded immensely compared to the previous years but it was um, at the same time uh, should we say it was possible to do it whereas now if you have YouTube for instance which is like this huge uh, domain this huge archive, Constantly renewed uh, in terms of, of what's going on there, then I could never lock in any meaningful way everything that is going on there. Um, so that's, for instance, a problem of of how do we do samples in a way that makes sense, in a way that we can choose the examples we want to do from for our analysis, uh, and and that is, I think, a very uh, a big challenge. There is so much uh, food media. A text out there and it's also constantly changing and uh, it could change from one day to another as well we just follow specific stories of cases and so on Uh, it's added on also in terms of, of comments and so on so also we don't we have to rethink the very concept of what is a text because if you buy a cookbook you have a physical object and it stays the same whereas any kind of, of text in the digital world um, of, of YouTube video could uh, be taken off the grid. It could be uh, reposted. It could be commented upon. It could be liked and so on. And all these kind of thing kind of, of, of does that, that we should maybe see text not talks about text as something stable, unique, but rather as as different kind of textual practices. And that that kind of forces us also to um, to, uh, radically rethink the very term of what is a textual analysis when we think about it uh, in the digital world. Um,
0: That's really interesting. And I would like to come back to that a bit later. But before that, uh, I would like to follow up on something that Sina said. there have been other books on, on, on this topic, uh, especially in the past couple of years, like, uh, for example, uh, Deborah Lipton and Zena Fieldman's uh, Digital Food Culture or uh, Tanya Lewis's Digital Food or uh, Digital Food Activism by, you know, Tanya Schneider, Karen Li and Catherine Dolan or uh, Alan Presswood's work on digital domestics. And some of these scholars, as you mentioned, uh, have in fact a chapter in your book. Uh, And what distinguishes your work from all these is an emphasis on, uh, as you said, methodological dimensions of food studies. But the question that I have is that um, one of the challenges that uh, I'm assuming uh, that editors of an edited volume usually face is thematizing the chapter to give the book a sort of uh, themed uh, structure, because you get all sorts of papers from, you know, all sorts of people who are from all sorts of disciplines. Uh, so what themes have you come up with uh, at the end? And w- what do you discuss in each, uh, you know, uh, section of the book, very generally speaking?
1: Yeah, we um, we have these four parts in the book. Um where we move from this more text-centered focus to a more practice-oriented and more non-media-centric focus. Uh, In the the first part, we uh, deal with textual analysis as these old methods, if you can say that, uh, now handling new uh, kinds of texts. Uh, Then we have uh, the second part, which is on digital ethnography, uh, dealing with different uh, areas within this field. Um, then we have a part three that is on users' practices. Here we have, for example, a chapter by Jonathan on action research. Um, and then we have a last part uh, on digital archives and network analysis. Um, So we have uh, the first two parts are the biggest parts, because this is what uh, this is what most of the research out there is about or handling. uh, And also that it made sense to have different uh, kinds of perspectives on these uh, two parts. Um, So, so we have four parts, and all chapters are kind of built up in the same way to make it very accessible for students, as I said before, mm-hmm. uh, and, and a very hands-on uh, way of, of reading a chapter that outlines how to do this uh, particular methods method. And then uh, following in the end, we have these uh, Pedagogical features, uh, do's and don'ts, for example, questions for reflection, uh, a small box called Now You Try, uh, which is a concrete question uh, where people can dive into this method. Uh, And also we have further readings and ethical uh, considerations as these uh, uh, elements that Kroger Fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
0: Um, unfortunately, as much as I like, we don't have time to delve into each of these uh, chapters, but uh, and all of which you know sound very interesting. But we do definitely have time to discuss your own chapter, uh, Stina. Uh, you yep. have a chapter co-authored with uh, Thomas Simonson on approaching food texts on YouTube. Uh, And this is interesting, especially because of what uh, Jonathan mentioned earlier about texts, because uh, 30 years ago, it was very clear what the text is. But now and in the context of social media, that has completely changed. So could you give us an overview of the chapter and uh, what you discuss in it?
1: yeah yeah because as you said YouTube is exactly this uh, great example of how digital media poses this challenge in regard to the amounts of data that we have to handle and also uh, to choose analytical examples from so I can go to YouTube and find the first uh, video uh, when I uh, search for food videos. Uh, however, I have no idea um, if this is uh, is the most uh, seen or highest ranked. Uh, then you can go and filter your um, your search. But but the most interesting thing here is, is um, how to uh, approach these uh, huge amounts of data. Um, and how to sample when you want to work with something from, for example, YouTube. Um, also, in terms of how to uh, select and identify both relevant and also representative data. Uh, and in regards to YouTube, uh, this platform has been studied uh, from two methodologically different angles. Uh, On the one hand, there's a qualitative and small-scale study versus this uh, quantitative and very large-scale platform study. And and this chapter that uh, Thomas and I did is an example of a qualitative-driven case study uh, of this food channel, uh, Tasty. And thus, it's also this contextual investigation of food channels. So um, what the chapter uh, tries to do is to show how to choose from this huge sample, having in mind that we will never fully know uh, the underlying algorithms of this platform Uh, And that applies to any other social media platform that we work with in the digital uh, landscape.
0: Mm. Thank you, Stine. And Jonathan, uh, your chapter is uh, on using digital media in food-related action research. Could you give us an overview of the chapter, please?
2: Yeah, I would love to. So my... Uh, chapters like from the, the part of the book where we talk more about users' practices. So as Dede mentioned, this kind of move that we see throughout the book from the um, the focus on how to rethink textual analysis to Moving on to a to like, uh, kind of non-media centric perspective or where we see the, the media in relation to practices or rather how practices and media practices, food practices and media practices are interrelated. And uh, this is actually from a project I did a few years ago when I was at the Pedagogical University of, of Denmark, University of Aarhus. And here we had a project on how to improve meals in Danish daycare institution. Um, So the government wanted to change the focus from this just being a space for refueling, a time for refueling the mealtime, and turning it into a space for learning and making children aware of their senses, their agency, and the social aspects uh, of the meal. And and what we did was we, in this project, we had uh, roughly 10 institutions that was integrated in different kind of labs, Um, where we uh, met with the practitioners and um, I was uh, responsible for a lab on taste pedagogies. And uh, in this uh, lab, we met 10 times during a year. And for each uh, session in the lab, we asked the practitioners to film their practices on digital devices, uh, and then show them at these sessions where the other practitioners were there and, and and some of our scholars as well. And then we kind of discussed what could be uh, changed. Um, and it was very interesting because a lot of the th- Things that the that the adults, the, the 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 pedagogical staff said they did when we filmed it uh, in the in the institution, the setting, we saw that that was not what was going on, and they actually filmed each other, and you could see that they wanted to give a lot more agency to the children, uh, and they actually thought they had done that, but when we saw these videos, it was quite obvious that they did not, that they were very. Uh, uh, that was surveying the kids, monitoring their every move, and they didn't have much liberty uh, to actually practice this agency. Um, so that's very briefly what, what the project was about, and it inspired some new guidelines uh, by the Danish Food Administration, opening to more um, to new kind of approaches to meals. And then there was a lot of examples also from these kind of innovative uh, approaches uh, that we saw was, was fulfilled there. And, and I think it's, it's a strong case for like uh, using digital uh, media in, in a tool for action research projects. So these action research projects is when we both want to do research and change practice out in the real world at the same time. Um, so we should have different kind of outputs and different kind of, of of attention points, Um, and maybe there are also different kind of agendas, but I thought here it was very um, interesting to see how it was, uh, the digital media was a tool to show what was actually done rather than what people said they did. Because if we had just interviewed them, we wouldn't have had the same kind of data. It wouldn't have shown us exactly what was, was going on. Um, and I also think this way of documenting practices offered a new voice to some of the people who might otherwise have some difficulty in formulating this in uh, uh, their practice in in writing um and, and i think that was pretty interesting but at the same time of course as with all this kind of of, of novel um and and uh, practices also you know where where you research and practices out in the real world it's it's also complicated and it's messy and there is there are still hierarchies and it could Also, I write a little about this in the end, a lot of things could have been done differently. For instance, what if we have given the children a digital camera to kind of see what was going on and and to get a better view of of their perspective? So like many of the chapters, it's also, I think, a, a work in progress. None of us are. Completely, one hundred percent experts, but rather, it's it's we're going into some new worlds and exploring them with all the messiness there is in there, and that's also, I think, one of the great thing in the books that a lot of lot of very interesting reflections uh, from from people really trying out uh, new methods.
0: Yes, indeed. Uh, and uh, your book, as I could tell from several chapters in it, has a strong focus on. Uh, food activism in digital contexts. I was wondering how digital food activism looks like, or how does digital era bring about structural changes and uh, sort of new potentials to these sorts of collective activism and food movements?
2: Yeah, Yeah, that is a very... Very good question. And, and you mentioned Tanya Schneider and, and uh, Karen Kernelli's uh, anthology, um, uh, which they co-edited a, a couple of years ago, uh, which is called Digital Food Activism, which is a very interesting uh, volume and, and uh, very important. They also talk a lot about that in their chapter in, in our book and reflect on, on the methods used there. Um, and digital food activism can take many forms. It can go from like just being online discussion, raising political, social issues. It can also be digital platform where you organize consumers or uh, new apps for alternative consumption, like we have here in Denmark, the Too Good To Go app. I'm not sure if everyone is familiar with that, but that's that's a food waste app. So where um, different kinds of, of restaurants or food shops or bakeries can sign up. And then when they have some leftover food, they can um, send out uh, a a notification in the app, and if you are in the area, you can then go and, and pick up the food for a lower price. Uh, but then maybe with certain, you may not have the same free choice as you would if you go in as an, as a kind of ordinary uh, customer. Um, another example of of this kind of activism, which is also another word uh, for it, uh, where you use the apps, is the Bera Forum, which is uh, a gender and feminist app. Uh, focusing on gender inequality in the uh, restaurant business, and they propose for different cities, I think mainly in Europe, um, to uh, give a guide to where you should go if you want to eat in restaurants, cafes, or bakeries that are run by uh, women. Um, So kind of of giving a visibility to certain uh, female actors in, in the food scene locally. And one of the good things about um, the digital world and era is that it's a pretty easy to organize. Um, <coughs> sorry, to organize a lot of people a very short time in, um, in, a, in a very um, around issues that are uh, timely, that are central, and and you also sometimes niche where you can get a hold of a lot of people which might have been very difficult uh, to do otherwise. And you can get these kind of big uh, change the public debate or build up new infrastructure as an alternative to the mainstream uh, capitalism or uh, supermarket or food systems uh, that you have. On and, and the downside to that, uh, as they also mentioned uh, a lot of the people writing on this is that it could also be considered a kind of, of uh, lacy form of activism, right? It's, it's easier to uh, be a part of a hashtag activism movement, right? To just write something on Twitter and put on a hashtag. Um, but it can also be extremely powerful, but sometimes it might also be, uh, should we say the lacy way of going about activism where people then forget about going in the street, about putting action uh, behind their um, their 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 ideals um so it's also very complicated and and rather messy um, messy should we say um, way it's difficult to say what it is to put the boundaries exactly and at the same time also have very different kinds of of impact on the way we eat and on the politics of food. Thank you Jonathan. Um,
0: most books on food nowadays, or at least the ones I have come across, um, have a final chapter that deals with the future of food. And your book is not an exception in this regard, um, with the chapter that has been written by the one and only uh, Deborah Lopton. So how do you think the future of digital food studies look like?
1: Well, um, of course, we think that a lot more research on digital media and everyday food lives uh, is coming. Um, And we also hope and think that there will be more integration of digital and non-digital food studies, because even though we make this uh, book uh, because we live in a digital world now and we need new methodologies to grasp and handle these new digital platforms, we still uh, fall back to or are informed by the old methods, if you can say that, that we've been using for ages now. So it would be great for uh, digital food studies uh, to be more integrated with uh, all the work that has been done previous. Uh, before the digital uh, era came, um, so so I think that would be great if if it wouldn't uh, be kind of this sharp uh, distinction between pre digital and digital.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you, Sina. Um, there's obviously a lot more in the book, and I encourage listeners to uh, pick up a copy. But before we wrap up the interview, I'd like to ask. Uh, whether you're working on something right now or are you thinking about doing a research on a particular topic in the near future, uh, starting with you, Stine?
1: Yeah. um, We are actually right now uh, beginning to to, uh, dive into a project uh, together uh, on food porn uh, and trying to find out how to... uh, yeah, how to how to make this book? Uh, because it's obviously another book than this uh, anthology on on methods. Uh, so mm-hmm. that will be uh, one of our next uh, steps. Uh, I'll also be working with uh, sustainability and food. Uh, I don't know quite uh, where in this field yet, but I'll be uh, I'll be going in that direction.
0: Okay, that's really exciting. can't wait to uh, read it whenever it comes out. Uh, and Jonathan, apart from the book that uh, you're working on with Sina, uh, is there any project that you're doing right now or are thinking about doing in the future?
2: Uh, yeah, so it's, it's still, I think, going to be a lot within the digital. And I have a, 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 a project we just got funding for by the Danish um independent research council uh, which is called masculinities in green transition which is a, a project then on how men react or embrace or fail to embrace with this uh of the case uh, the green transition and seem men seems to also to be less likely than women to Um, to be uh, a part of these kind of new alternative uh, practices uh, that that should help us go into uh, a greener future. And that that project is both um, a, a part of it. One of the sub projects is on interviews with men and how they relate to um, to their everyday lives uh, in and uh, around sustainable practices. It's in not only food, but it could also be in transportation and in travel and the leisure time and so on. And the second part is then on um, masculinities um, in different kind of forums uh, relating online forums uh, relating to sustainability and see how. Both the green masculinity might look like online, but also how we where we see the resistance uh, by men performed uh, in in kind of in opposition to uh, what is going on with the green transition and so on, so what that and that's really also a project as Stina just mentioned with the combining the digital and the non digital. Um, as a way of understanding contemporary lifestyles and and food practices.
0: Sounds like a very interesting project, uh, Jonathan.
2: Uh, Do you have any further
0: comments, anything you want to add before we wrap up the interview?
1: Well, um, maybe just that uh, this this book is just a a first step on a long journey uh, into the digital uh, food uh, landscape. And we hope that people, will use it and uh, find it useful, uh, and and uh, use it the way that uh, they find uh, that it's uh, relevant for. So yeah.
0: Yeah, first the steps are um, usually the most important steps, Sine, as I say. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. We hope so. We hope so. <laughs> yes. Uh, Jonathan, anything you want to add, or? No, exactly. I think like what what Stina said, it's it's very important also to see that this is not the end of methodology in digital food studies. I think people should look it up and make it their own and and do a lot of studies. I hope we have made it easier to begin and do these first steps. And then we can really build up a, a, a large corpus of new inspiring studies on digital food studies.
0: Uh, Thank you to both for taking this first step. Uh, And thank you so much for coming on the show and speaking with me today and sharing your insight and your very interesting work uh, with our listeners. It was an absolute pleasure.
2: No, thank thank you for for having having us. us. (laughs) Have a good evening. Yeah. Bye.